Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Good morning, Harvest. It's good to be with you again today. Hope you had a great week. I hope you've been enjoying and getting a lot out of this series from the Bible Project. We're covering some of the most important theological themes in our faith, and uh, these are really important things to get a handle on. And I trust that as we've been going through these messages, um, God has been opening up your heart and your understanding, your mind for these things. Um, It's been a good series, but I have to confess that it's also been one of the most difficult series to prepare sermons for. Because, And I'm really not sure how these guys do it on the videos. They jam so much into five minutes. But then to try to um, distill all of those big ideas into a single sermon has been enormously challenging for the, for the three pastors as we prepare these messages. And this morning's topic is no different. The Holy Spirit is one of the three persons of the Trinity, and it is just such a huge um, tr- topic to try to squeeze into one sermon. There are so many things that could be said about who He is, and so I didn't even try. I'll confess, today I just decided to zero in on one narrow thing about the Holy Spirit. And it's my hope someday to do a fuller series on the the Holy Spirit because I believe He is the one person in the Trinity that many of us know the least. We're the least familiar with Him. And so this morning, I want to focus on a single aspect, and that is the life-giving power of God's presence. Because really, Spirit is the way that the Bible authors talk about the personal presence of God. If you think about it, in any relationship, there's really no substitute for presence. You know, it's a truth that I think the pandemic has helped us to really learn, is that we took it for granted, but now when we can't be with each other, we realize in any relationship, it's the presence of the other person which we most want, and it's their presence that we most miss when we're separated from them or when they're taken away from us. Presence is what relationships are built on, and there's power in presence. When you think about the way that God interacted with the Israelites, He gave so many blessings to the ancient Israelites. You know, when He delivered them from Egypt, He set them free from centuries of brutal and unjust slavery. And on their way out of Egypt, he even enriched them with the gold of their former masters. It's crazy if you think about it. And then he promised that not only would they be free from slavery, but he would lead them to a rich and fertile land of their very own. In other words, God gave Israel a lot of presents with a T, right? Presents. There was nothing he did not give them. Like he, He really gave them an abundance of blessings. And yet, while Moses was up on Mount Sinai um, receiving the Ten Commandments, the set of instructions by which this people now set free could live for God, what they were doing down below at the base of the mountain was fashioning an idol in the form of a golden calf out of the very gold which God had given them to provide for their needs. I want you to think about that for a minute. What an absolute betrayal that is. It's like using your spouse's money to lavish your lover with gifts. 
I don't think we really understand emotionally enough how much this grieved the heart of God, this golden calf incident. Because he, they had taken everything He had given them for their blessing and they had used it to rebel against Him and to betray Him. Understandably, uh, God is not happy about this. And in Exodus 33.3, He says to Moses, Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you, because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. And so he sends this clear message through Moses to the people of Israel. Listen, I'm going to still let you have the things I promised you. It's almost like the jilted spouse saying, you can keep the house, but I can't be with you right now. I, I can't even look at you. That's God's reaction. He says, you can still have the promised blessing. I'm going to still take you to the promised land, but I'm not going to go. You go. I'll send an angel to go before you. You can have what I promised, but I'm not going to go with you. Another way to say this is they kept his presence with a T, but they lost his presence with a C. Do you understand that? They had kept the presence that he gave them, but they had lost the presence of God himself. The people heard this proclamation from God and they were greatly distressed. And Moses was probably the most distressed out of all of them. And so in Exodus 33, verses 15 to 16, later on in the same chapter, Moses says to God, If your presence does not go with us, then do not send us up from here. In other words, if you're not coming, we're not going to go. Because really, what's the point? How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? This is so important. Moses understood that God's presence or His gifts were no substitute for His presence or for God Himself. You know, many of the nations around them had good fortune. Their false gods gave them all kinds of things, or so they thought. So it, there was no distinguishing mark to say, look, we have ripe harvests. We have good health. We have lots of children. We have whatever you want to point to and say, look, this is proof that God is favoring us. Every nation had those things. What made Israel distinctive? And Moses keys in on this. He goes, only Israel has the presence of the one true living God. It's the only thing that set them apart from all the other nations in the world. I was thinking about like a royal ball in a fairy tale. And in any royal ball, there are so many women in the room who are beautiful and beautifully dressed. You really can't tell one from another when all the women at the ball are addressed to the nines and at their best. But only one woman has the hand and the heart of the prince. And that's why she stands out among all the others. It's not that she's more beautiful or better dressed. It's because she is the one who has won the heart of the one that everybody wants to be with. And that's really Moses' heart with God. He's saying, it doesn't matter if we have all the stuff you promised us. We don't want just your presence. We want your presence. Boy, it'd be so much easier to do this if I weren't just doing it verbally. I, hopefully you can see the slide. But here's really the summary of the lesson. Life comes from God's presence, not His presence. Now, I want you to look at that for a minute. Just stare at that statement. Because it's really easy to dismiss this as self-evident, to say, oh, duh, everyone knows that. But I want you to pause and reflect about your own heart right now. Which one of these presents do you really delight in more? Which one do you fear losing more? 
Which do you find yourself praying for more often and more desperately? Which do you consider as proof of God's favor or love for you? In other words, if God withheld all the things you asked for, but He would stand next to you the whole time, would that be enough? Or would you feel that God has betrayed you in some way? See, the greatest gift that God gives His people is not the things He puts in their hands, but He gives the gift of Himself. And that presence itself is what the Bible is saying. God Himself is is revealing that presence, that personal presence of God with us. That's where the deepest level of life springs forth from. Spirit is how the Bible writers talk about this personal presence of God. And the word is ruach in Hebrew. It's a really powerful word. And this presence of God, the Spirit of God, is one of the most important themes in the whole Bible. In fact, the presence of God is the theme that opens the Bible and closes the Bible. In Genesis 1, verse 2, we encounter the Holy Spirit in the very first page of the Bible. By the second verse, He's already present. It says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So at the start of everything, at creation, everything made already, its this raw material, it's just formless and void and dark. I love the way Eugene Peterson translates this verse in his paraphrase of the Bible called The Message. Listen to how powerfully poetic this is. Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. I think those words could describe the state of a lot of people's hearts. Don't you think? And out of this lifeless void, the Spirit of God brings forth form and beauty and life. It's no, it's no coincidence that the Hebrew word for spirit, which is ruach, is the same Hebrew word that they use to translate wind and breath. Breath is what you draw in and breathe out in order to have life. So the Spirit of God, this ruach, is a breath that gives life, but it's also the wind that moves everything. Both are invisible, but life is impossible without these things, right? They're, they're both signs that it, we require God's invisible presence to be alive and to move and be moved. This personal presence of God, His Spirit, is the source of all life. Even with all our advances in biomedical technology, scientists still cannot fully understand the mystery of this spark that makes tissue come alive. They've tried to create life, and I'll put it in air quotes, in a laboratory, in a petri dish, but the truth is, even if you get all the parts together, we still don't understand what animates tissue, what makes it actually living. And certainly, we don't know what makes it sentient, what, what, what breathes into a, hump, a, a, a lump of tissue a mind, a heart, emotions, a will. Maybe you've noticed, um, I've certainly noticed, there's been an explosion lately in our culture of the zombie motif. It's in film, TV shows, novels. Just do a search on Netflix, or maybe don't, but do a search on Netflix for zombies, and you'd be surprised how many shows fill your screen. And it's not just America. It's become a truly global phenomenon. Now, 
It's just a theory, but I wonder if at some subconscious level, our fascination with zombies is because somewhere deep down, many of us identify more with the zombies than with the survivors. I know that it's easy to watch a show like that and go, oh yeah, I'm learning a lot about what I would do if I were a survivor. But when you look at a zombie, think about what that is. It's, it's got all the mimicry of living beings, but they're not alive. That's why they called the walking dead. And I think the walking dead might be a good term to ad- accurately describe the state of a lot of people who are in the world today. Maybe it describes what you're feeling. It's possible to be biologically alive and spiritually dead. To feel like there's a pulse, there's breath, your muscles work, but something in you feels lifeless and numb and dead. And when we feel that way, it's tempting to grasp at anything that just gives us a jolt, that makes us feel something, anything, just to feel alive a little bit. It doesn't matter what it is. Some people turn to something destructive or harmful or painful just to feel a sharp sensation because they don't feel alive, but at least they feel this. Others turn to something that gives them pleasure, even though it's short-lived, even if it might ultimately be self-destructive. They'll turn to anything that just gives them a jolt of pleasure, some dopamine, anything, because what we feel when we're lifeless inside is I desperately want to be alive. I just don't know how to get it to happen. I keep thinking of Victor Frankenstein who stitched together a heap of body parts and then hooked it up to electricity and hoped that lightning would somehow animate this tissue. Obviously in a work of fiction, it worked. But you can't just jolt dead tissue with lightning and make it into a person. It's not how it works. God has a better answer than our instinct out of our deadness inside to turn to anything that makes us feel something. When you look at Romans 8, 10 to 11, this is in the New Living Translation. This is what God says to us. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. It's so powerful. I could do a whole sermon probably in just these verses. There's so much in here. But do you see at, at, at the highest level what God is saying is this. Rather than trying to make yourself feel alive, The Spirit of God in you can actually make you come alive. You don't have to try to mimic the feelings and the movements of a living being. You can experience what Paul says to Timothy is life that is truly life. And when he says that, what he's saying is there's a kind of life that looks like life but is not. That's what a zombie is. right? Just stiff, walking. It looks like a person, but it's not. It's just an animated corpse. But life that is truly life is when you don't just have a heartbeat and brain waves, but something deep in your inner being, that essential core part of you that is you, that comes to life. It's energized. It's inspired. It wants to live. It wants to experience. It wants to serve and love and give. And that same spirit that brought Jesus' dead body back to life 
in that tomb lives in you and me and wants to give life, real life, to these dying fleshly bodies. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, Paul gives this astounding statement. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? So often we use these verses, this verse mainly to argue against substance abuse or self-destructive behavior, but really the powerful truth that this verse communicates to us is that somehow God saw fit to live within us, that we could be His dwelling place. See, the Spirit of God in the Old Testament used to live in the tabernacle and later in the temple. But now, He lives in us individually. We don't need buildings anymore because He decided He would take residence in us. What's even cooler is that He goes on to say that when we come together, as a community of faith, the Spirit-filled church, we become a temple. We become together the dwelling place of God. In 1 Corinthians three sixteen to 17 Paul writes, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. So God in the Old Testament dwelt in the tabernacle. He dwelt in a pillar of cloud and fire. He later dwelt in the temple. But then when Israel rebelled and went into exile, Jerusalem, the temple were destroyed, and the presence of God left Israel in a very significant way. And the prophets, filled with God's Spirit, foretold that one day a king would come, and this, the presence of God that was lost would return. And it was in Jesus that that's, that uh, presence of God returned to us. And that's why Jesus says, I will leave you the Holy Spirit. The personal presence of God Himself will live in us. And all of this points forward to a day when we will live in the new heavens and the new earth. In Revelation twenty-one twenty-two, it says, I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. One day when all of this is remade and we are in the new heavens and the new earth, it says we will no longer need any temple at all, not even us, not even the the church, because God's presence will so permeate all of creation that this life-giving personal presence of God, His Spirit, will fill everything fully without hindrance. God's presence will be unbounded. A good way to think about that is whatever day on earth you have felt the most truly alive in your inner spirit, that day is like a deposit that points forward to what every day will be like in the new heavens and the new earth. When the Spirit of God, the presence of our God, is unbounded and fills all of creation. You know, maybe you feel lifeless and stale today. Deep down inside, on the outside, you may look like you're, you're doing fine, going through the motions, but maybe deep down inside, you know you feel lifeless and dead. When you're in that state, it's tempting to look around for something to jolt you back to life, something to make you feel something. And so often, we settle for lesser things when the greater thing is available to us. 
there's only one source of true life. And that is the Spirit of God, the personal presence of God. He is a source of the life we always longed for. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. If you sense a lifelessness inside of you, Paul is saying, don't turn to wine or anything else. Not because it's evil, but because it's not enough. It's insufficient, it's inadequate to give you that feeling of living which you are craving in that deadness inside. God has a better answer. Why not just turn right to God and say, don't give me this, don't give me that, but give me yourself. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, with your life-giving personal presence. It's what I really need more than anything. That's really where we are, church. That numbness, that, that lifelessness, that staleness inside won't go away just because you entertain yourself, because you numb yourself. What we really need in our lifelessness is not distraction, but life that is truly life. And He is available to us, but so often we just don't ask Him. We ask Him for every other thing except the greatest gift, which is God Himself. So I wonder when is the last time we earnestly cried out to God for nothing other than, would you fill me with yourself? Come and just fill up my life. This is not some mystical sensation we're asking for, but what we're really asking God for is a pleading invitation for Him to be fully present in the innermost being of my life. And even if you don't know what it feels like, why not just on faith say, I don't know what that even means, but I'm just going to ask it because your word tells me such a thing exists. And if it does happen to me, if you really move into my life and fill me, I will know it. Something in me that's dead will come to life. So let's do that. Let's ask God for what He most wants to give us. Not as many gifts and blessings He fills our hands with, but the gift of His own presence through which we draw life. I want to ask you to take a minute as we have this closing song, and before the closing song, there'll be a little time with some music. Um, And we built that in on purpose so that having heard this, there'll be a little buffer in there for you to just sit in in that that quiet moment and hear from God. And I ask you as that music is playing, would you invite Him to enter your heart fully, to enter your space, your inner being right now. Ask that in faith, even if you don't know what that feels like or what it means exactly. Let's ask Him together, and let's be quiet and still for just a minute. And then we'll do a closing song, and I'll return for the benediction. The Holy Spirit of God is that tangible, personal, intimate full presence of God, and He wants to live in us. It is what Christ, through His death and resurrection, has made possible, is that we don't just know God from afar, but God Himself will live in us. And His living in us, that's, that the Spirit of God in us, His personal presence, will cause the deadness and the lifelessness and the emptiness in us to come fully alive. There's no substitute for it. There's no way to pretend or mimic it. Real life, life that is truly life, you'll know it when you feel it. We'll know it when we see it. And that's the life that God makes available. We can ask Him for that, so ask Him now. And may He grant it to you. May this be the wind in your sails, the breath 
in your lungs, the thing that makes your spirit come fully alive. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, be blessed now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.